Today, we are going to hear from a former foster youth that happens to be a friend of mine. Join us today on Fostering the Future. Welcome to the Fostering the Future podcast, a show about all things child welfare, dependency, adoption, and foster care. Here are your hosts, veterans in the world of child welfare, Jack and Kat. We believe that every human has incredible and equal value regardless of what side of the courtroom we sit on. We hope that everyone feels welcome and accepted here on Fostering the Future. Make sure you follow us on Facebook or Instagram as Fostering the Future Podcast, or check us out on our website at fosteringthefuturepodcast.org. This is Nicole, and I am here with Jack, and I brought a friend with me today. Joining us is Babel. He is a former foster youth that had a little bit of a different pathway and story and ultimately ended up working in a group home with teens. Welcome, Pablo. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for doing this. I have a very important question to ask you. Okay. What is your favorite drink at Starbucks? Why did I know this was coming? (laughs) I will say I don't visit Starbucks often, but there was a drink. I forgot what it was called, but it had s'mores in it. So it was like a s'mores, like maybe like a s'mores frappuccino. I think it had to be. Yeah. Okay. I wonder if it's like an off menu item or something. Well, they have all the off menu items, but then they also have like not just the seasonal, but the seasonal that's like comes and goes, you know, they had this one drink one time. And when I ordered it, they were like, are you sure you want that? And I was like, yeah, like, dude, that sounds like awesome. They were like, yeah, I don't think you want it. <laughs> and I got it. And I was like, I was like, I kind of like it, but I feel like maybe I shouldn't because they told me that I shouldn't. But it kind of tasted like a Christmas tree. Like, like people, a Christmas tree? Yeah. They're like, like the way a Christmas tree smells. Yeah, like yeah. pine. I mean, I see why they warned you. Yeah. From it. <laughs> well, I didn't hate it. Oddly enough, the following Christmas came and it wasn't on the menu. Mm. Mm. So, Papa, what can you tell us about your story and how you entered foster care and kind of what happened subsequently? How it even all started was um, a certain argument between my dad and my stepmom caused us all to split up. Uh, he had, and from what I've heard, he had a choice between his children or his wife. He chose his wife. Can't blame him. After that, we were split up, was in foster care for a, a very short amount of time until my aunt adopted me. And my siblings were all adopted by aunts and uncles. So we were close by to each other. We weren't far. How old were you when that happened? I had to say around seven to eight years old. And how many siblings do you have? I have the ones that got split up with me were two. So two little sisters that were split up. I have another younger sister who lives with her biological father. And then I have an older brother who currently lives with a foster mom right now. And he has autism and a couple of different mental disabilities. But his foster mom really treats him well. So kudos to her. Was he adopted there or is he still in foster care? No, he's adopted. So you were in foster care for a short amount of time. And then you went to a biological aunt. 
Was this um, your dad's sister or your mom's sister? My dad's sister. Your other siblings went to your dad's other siblings? Yep. And they all live really close to each other. Like, I could walk two blocks up the street and I can get to oh, my one. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So, oh, okay. so it's kind of like you guys were kept together yeah. even though you were in different homes. Yeah. When you were removed, I mean, do you remember the day you were removed? I don't remember. I remember my dad crying a lot. And one thing that my dad always liked to mimic me about when I was younger and I cried was that men don't cry. What are you doing? <laughs> so I remember being a child and I hit it with the same thing. Dad, you're a man. Why are you crying? Oh, wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, but I didn't understand it when I was a child. Now that I'm growing up, I understood like he was really losing us and he was heartbroken about it. I remember specifically that one day they were so depressed about losing us that they wanted to just end their own lives. And I remember specifically on my 13th birthday, them telling me that. And oh, wow. Oh my God. I never understood the seriousness of uh, suicide or or anything like that. So when he told me, I was just like, what? What the heck? Like, what am I supposed to do with that information? Right. So, but when I told my aunt about it, my aunt had a conversation with my dad and I guess they got it all sorted out because, you know, they stayed living. They were trying to fight to get us back. Definitely wasn't going to happen. But to know that they were around at least made the difference for me. Were they always around or was there a time where you were separated and didn't have communication with your dad? No, they were they were around. We had at first we had to do visits at a, a place called I think it was Athena. Like a visit. Center? Yeah, it was a visitation center. Where they so were supervising the visits. Yeah. And this was between my biological dad and my biological mom. And then they started letting my mom take me out. So we used okay. to go to the mall downtown Philly. It was called the gallery at the time. We used to go to the gallery, walk around. She would buy me things here and there. It was it was a nice experience. It was a good times. Did you get to a point where you were able to go out with your dad also? I don't remember specifically. There was a time where the visits at the center were needed anymore. Okay. So he was able to come over see us to, your, to the house or yeah whatever. my biological mom however was a different story because I can't remember what happened but I think she said something ill about my aunt and they got into it so I went in the house I see my aunt go outside and I just hear a whole big commotion going on outside but before that I remember trying to signal my mom like leave I don't yeah. want to see this go down leave but yeah. she didn't get the hit so they just <laughs> went at it outside and that's something that we talk about a lot with biological parents when your kids are placed with family because that is like always like the first thing that everybody tries to do is keep you with family. Yeah. Matt talks about this and we've had other biological parents talk about how when your child is placed with a relative instead of foster care, there's a little more leeway for that relative to do what they want, especially as far as visitation goes. Yeah. Whereas when you're in a foster placement, like I can't be like, I'm mad at the kid's mom, so I'm not going to do visits. So that is a struggle that a lot of biological parents have on top of trying to fix your life, on top of trying to do all the things to get your kid back, on top of trying to maintain that relationship with your kid, you have to walk on eggshells with this relative who's probably a little resentful of you that you weren't able to do this on your own without their help. No matter how great the situation is and how happy and honored they are to have the kid in their home, they probably always feel a little bit of anger at the parent for not doing what they needed to do. The parent is then having to walk on eggshells with the relative with all those family dynamics. In a situation like that, your mom then wasn't able to visit you there because of the problems with her relationship with your aunt, which kind of sucks for you because it's not your fault that your aunt and her got into it did that limit your visitation with her altogether i think the visitation with her at least kept going at the center Mm -hmm. uh especially after that moment don't get me wrong my aunt is 
Definitely an amazing person. Yeah. She's awesome. She's done a lot for me over the years. I love her to death. But that moment was really awkward for me because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I had to pick a side. It probably goes back to the family dynamics. Yeah. Something was building, whatever was happening, something that you weren't seeing happen. Yeah. So that might have been like the straw that it broke the it camel's back. Yeah. Right. Like thing, she, right. There could have been all kinds of other stuff going on on phone calls or something else. I just wish I didn't have to see it at that point because right. that really yeah. put a strain. I'm just confused. Like, yeah. What is going on? Like, if it was your foster parent, you'd be like, "Well, obviously, I'm just gonna side with my mom." Yeah. But this is also your relative who's exactly. taking care of you, and exactly. you're like, "You've done so much for me, and you've been a mom figure to me." It was difficult. And but your mom's your mom. Exactly. So, <laughs> shout out to my aunt. She had to go through a lot with me because at first I didn't want to open up. I didn't want to give her me nothing. I stayed in my room. I played video games. I barely came out uh, from outside my room. If she needed help, she would call on me. I help her, but I didn't want to open up. It wasn't until I think I was like, I want to say 13, 14, that I actually started coming out of my shell and actually being around them and wait and how old were you when you moved in there i moved in there when i was eight that's a lot of five years. years so i always laugh when people have a foster placement and it's a kid who's been through some hard stuff and they're like it's been three months like why don't i see a change right dude like no three months is not enough Yo, you've got you so really, much to work against you really gotta really? be patient but yeah and shout out your, to your, your family and that was my family that was not biological a foster family. parent right <laughs> That was somebody you already knew and had a relationship exactly. with. Exactly. I knew, I definitely do love her because my dad used to take me there all the time. Go right. She gave me a dollar or two to go to the store and get some candy. And that's when you can get a lot of candy for a dollar. <laughs> Before you went into foster care, was your relationship with your biological mother the same as it was when you were in foster care? Because it sounds like you lived with your dad and your stepmom, right? Yeah. So I spent most of my time living with my dad. My mom and I had a good relationship. She was always so excited to see me. But I remember one day she was so excited to see me. She slapped her hand on my leg and it left a big spot. So oh, it looked like she hit no. me physically. But really, she was just so excited she couldn't contain it. And it just, boom, I got oh, a red mark. That is not good. So that made it worse. Yeah, I <laughs> That definitely that. made it worse. But me and my mom had a good relationship uh, in terms of now. She's trying. And I'm trying to give what I can, but I'm not at that same level where it's just like, oh, I want to give you my all. But it's just really difficult to because... There was a time where at 13 years old, I never heard from her again. And then years later, she came back trying to reconcile and, you know, have a relationship with me. And I'm just like, should I, should I not? Like, I'm trying, but it's just, I'm not fully there yet to, to really give her How many years that. was she gone for? She was gone for like 13 up until, I like till I was like 19, 20. So wow. those are like all your teen years. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think your biological mom exiting at that time played a role in why you started to open up with your aunt? It definitely did. I remember, and th I think this was a breaking moment for me because I remember people were always asking me, how's your mom doing? Have you heard from your mom? How's your mom? It was a buildup for so long. So the last person that asked me a question was at her cousin's house. And when we got home, I went downstairs and my aunt's like, yo, what's wrong? And I broke down because like, everybody's asking me about my mom. I haven't heard from her in years. I broke oh. down. I started crying and bawling my eyes out. And I'm just like, why didn't she want me? Like, what did I do? Was I that bad of a son? And my aunt just looks at me like, you're not a bad son. When kids are in care, a lot of times there's mental health issues. So was that a struggle for your mom? None that I'm aware of, but probably so. Okay. Probably so. Well, and the other thing to consider is at a certain time, even now, it's almost taboo to talk about, especially in certain cultures, you don't go to a therapist and you don't talk about your feelings. You don't have disorders. And if somebody tells you you have a disorder, you don't agree with it. You certainly <laughs> don't take medicine for your disorders. I know the Italian culture is you don't cry, you tough it out. 
Hispanic culture is the same way. Yeah, I think there's a lot of cultures that are like that. To admit that there's something wrong with you is like a weakness. Instead of saying, this is something that I recognize in myself and I'm going to fix it. We say, that's not wrong. We're just going to tough through it. Yeah. And then that probably affects your relationships and the way that you parent. Definitely. You know, I always think when we ask people, do you think this happened because of mental health history in your family? And they're like, no, 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 nobody had that. And then when you hear some of the stories of things that happen, because moms love their kids. And no matter what happened to you, your mom loves you. She's doing what she can with what she can with whatever she... Right. Agreed. You know, whatever she has in her. And moms don't walk away for eight years because of anything other than they're not able. You know, I'm a mom. Like, I can't go a day without my kids. I freak out, right? Yeah. It's like the only thing that really could explain that is something that's really outside your control, which could be defined as a lot of things. But one of those is very often mental health. Like, if she had cancer, you would probably know about it if it was a a substance issue or a mental health issue you probably wouldn't know all the details because people are embarrassed about it and they don't want to share it but then that's why things go on for so long untreated you know yeah Yeah. I don't know if you guys watch but there's a show I thought that they did a really good job um, kind of addressing exactly what you just talked about with Realm one of the characters was having struggles with depression he's an African American there was a couple of episodes really where he talks about we don't talk about this with our families black men don't talk about it it's considered a weakness in our culture. They have an episode where they show him talking to his mom and his dad and his dad is like, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, kind of blowing it off. I thought they did a really good job of addressing just what you were talking about. I totally forgot about that. The period of time that you were in foster care, were you at your aunt's the whole time or were you ever in a foster home? I think I spent some time in one, but it wasn't very long. I was in my aunt's house for as long as I can remember. Did you ever go to court or was it just something that happened behind the scenes? I do remember very briefly going to court, but I can't remember too much of it. How old were you when you were adopted formally by your aunt? Uh, Eight years old, I had to be. Okay. Wait, that was quick. Yeah, Yeah, that was quick. That's like less than a year. Yeah. Did your name change or anything? No. And were there other kids in the house that were also your siblings? No, they were her children. So she had biological kids. Were you the only adopted child in her house? Yes. Before me, my brother did live with her for a little bit from what I've heard. I guess it didn't work out. This is the brother that's on the spectrum? Yes. Okay, gotcha. And how old is that brother? That brother's two years older than me, so I'm 26. He's 28. How many kids did she have total, including you? So in a house, including me, was four. Did you have a relationship with them like you did with your siblings? I did have a relationship with them like I did with my siblings probably even better they treated me like I was their actual sibling haven't heard from them in a long time so do you not have a close relationship with your aunt now no not anymore that faded away after a certain individual <laughs> decided to get personal with me over two things that I do not like being brought up to me and one is my role mom and also I am a father do have a daughter he brought up my daughter that was two things I didn't like I did not want to be around him after that we tried to reconcile you know I hope for a change he will not change at least I, that's what I believe now I refuse to be around them. So I will not go back to them, nor will I pick up a phone and call them. So it wasn't with your aunt, it was with someone? It was with someone else that happens to be in the family, which is my brother-in-law. So it's her son-in-law. Yep. Your sister's very close with your mom. Yeah, he's always going to be around. So for me, as long as he's around, I will not be around. That's the decision I decided to make. I don't regret it. Uh, I do miss them, but I do not regret my decision. I can't Well, you have to make like healthy boundaries for yourself so that you're okay. Yeah. That's probably such a hard thing for both you and your aunt, especially 
especially when it's not her. It's a complication to your relationship with her. Yeah. But you still love her and obviously have a great deal of respect for her. Yes. That breaks my heart for both of you. And like I said, mine's an amazing person. She'll give you the clothes off her back, look out for you whenever you need it. If you were to ask her to do something, she'll do it in a heartbeat. She will not hesitate. Uh, it's just unfortunate that that one person for me was the breaking point that I was just like, I can't do this. I can't be around you guys if he's going to be here. And that's not something I told her. I did tell her the first time I left and stopped talking to them was because of him. And she was pissed about it. She was upset. Upset at him, right? Upset at him. But the second, like I said, we tried reconciling. Me and him had never had that conversation that just said, hey, look, what you did, I did not like. Instead, we had a conversation of him being drunk, saying, I just wanted the best for you. You know, I just wanted to look out for you. All right. So his tough love for me is belittling me. I feel like now he looks down on me. That's something I don't like because I wouldn't do that to the person that's quote unquote below me which I use loosely because nobody's below me I am not above anybody nobody's below me we're all human at the end of the day that was his version of tough love and I didn't like it and I spent years through it and you know I tried to understand where he's coming from and I was like you know what he's right because he did have truths some truths in that that I found like I like to keep an open mind and look for things but the way he went about it I got tired of and I also got tired of the fact that it would always happen when he's been drinking. I cannot respect that. So, well, you're not going to get your best life advice from someone who's yeah. the influence of anything. Yeah. So, and for him to like be doing that to you as a condescending situation is kind of unbelievable. And don't get me wrong, I had my faults. I had done a lot of dumb mistakes. I, mean, I will own up to. Hasn't. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I will own up to myself and be a man about it. And I'm not perfect, yeah. and I know that for sure. I'm okay with that. But I dealt with him for too long. I can't deal with him anymore. So he was somebody that you were close with. I looked up to him, actually. When he first came around, he was the nicest person ever. He would play video games with me. I believe he's mid-30s, close to his 40s. I looked up to him because he's been through a lot of his life, which I can understand. We had a lot of deep conversations, things I wouldn't tell other people I told him. Just for all this to happen was just like, it was a slap to the face. I really opened up to you. And and there were a lot of situations that people would talk to me about and kind of look at him shamefully because he would drink a lot. He would make some crazy hash decisions, harsh decisions. Through all that, I believed in him because he was the older brother I really wanted and I looked up to. I remember me and my aunt had a disagreement about if he would, you know, one day stop drinking. I felt, I was like, yeah, I believe he will. Mm-hmm. I believe he'll change when I needed that back, needed that unconditional belief and didn't get it. Is there a way for you to have a relationship with her without anybody else? Maybe just not in person? They're always going to be around. Well, he's always going to be around. So I can't. I can't do they all live together? No, they don't. But they're always at each other's houses and whatnot. So yeah. I can't do it. It doesn't and, seem fair. But I also want to say I have so much respect for you because you set a boundary for yourself and for what's healthy for you. Mm-hmm. And you've stuck to it even though it's incredibly hard and it's not fair. And there's plenty in your life that hasn't necessarily been fair. Yeah. I really respect you for standing up for yourself and believing in yourself enough and love for yourself to keep yourself safe. Yeah, because like when we talk to people, a lot of the problems they have are because they don't put boundaries with people that they need to, you know, and then they get sucked into things that they shouldn't be and it creates more mental health problems. So the fact that you've been able to do that is very commendable. It just breaks my heart because like you were removed from your parents and this was the family that you were given and then this guy comes in and now you're not able to have that relationship. So it makes me mad. It's not fair. You were saying you're working on your relationship with your biological mom now. Yeah. And what is your relationship with your biological dad? We're good. Yeah. Uh, 
after 18, uh, I started living with him and we were building a strong relationship. He was like one of my best friends when I was living with him. Oh. Honestly. How long did you live with him for? I lived with him until I was like 24. So from oh, wow. 18 to okay. 24. One thing that I know because we're friends is that you speak with your father in sign language. Yeah. And I think that that is so cool. Was it your first language? Was ASL your first language? I don't know if it was ASL or English, but it had to be either one of the two. I was like kind of simultaneous. <laughs> yeah. But I do, I have brief memories of my dad sitting me on a table and just teaching me sign language. That's so cool. Wow. Yeah. I definitely wanted to bring that up because it like adds another layer to everything that kind of happened. And that's like a pretty big dynamic. Uh, have you seen the movie on uh, Apple called Coda? No. Obviously, I'm not Coda, so I can't speak from that experience. But one of our other hosts is, and like she's been my very good friend for a very long time, just knowing her history a little bit. When I saw the movie, it explained a lot. One of the things that was like the most pronounced thing is how when you are hearing and your parents are not, there's a lot of responsibility put on you. Mm. Uh, when I was watching this movie, I could just totally see this in her where you kind of have to do the adult things because you have to like translate for them you know and especially further back in time there weren't as many things that made things accessible mm -hmm. like there are now it certainly makes you grow up a little faster and take on a lot more responsibility is that something you experienced as well when you were younger yeah I was always the go-to for translating for them or anything like that well for him I was always the one to go to translate there's definitely a need for translators because there's not that many and yeah. I remember going to hospital visits with him and it'd be like the same translator every single time <laughs> <laughs> it's like the one guy in town gotta call him. <laughs> I was like, oh, like they, they didn't have nobody else. So she was like, nope. It puts a lot of challenges in your life to grow up as a coda, but also it gives you a great advantage because being able to speak sign language, that makes you pretty desirable by a lot of careers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it definitely opens up some opportunities for you. And I, I wonder if that played a role or a layer in like court. And also think about how people looking at them, they're a lot more dramatic in their faces mm. and their hand motions and their body movements. Yeah. And sometimes they seem mad when they're not mad just because they're trying to make a point. Yeah. And that can't help when you're in court trying to explain why you're a safe parent for a kid right. if if people are getting the wrong impression because of that. Yeah. So especially thinking back in time, like that could have been a factor. Yeah. I, I also just think about like this happened to you in another state but in our state it's pretty standard that you have to take parenting classes and you have to be if addiction is a problem or drugs alcohol mm -hmm. you know you have to go get screened I just wonder it had to have been harder to do all of those things the parenting classes and stuff like that mm -hmm. because they're not offered as readily do you hire a translator does the court <laughs> give you one do they make your kid do it like yeah, I, don't, right. I don't know you know yeah. like some of the parents that we've talked to and specifically a couple in particular have mentioned how when they started, they were very scared and angry and but also still using drugs at the time. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have patience. They didn't have proper expectations. Like they would just call people and yell and be like, what? Give me my kids back. Like what's going on? Right. And that set a horrible first impression for all of the different partners. I've never seen parents treated as poorly as these people, even though they're completely different people now. So I'm just thinking if they had such an up 
uphill battle because everybody felt like, oh, you know, look at her attitude. Like, we don't want to work with her. Right. And then if somebody comes in and they think they're a little more aggressive because people who are not hearing are more expressive. Definitely more expressive. Like, yeah, you know, how they're part of the way they yeah, communicate. Exactly. Yeah. It's not just the signs. Your tone is expression. Exactly. And like physical expression. I'd be very curious to hear like the difference of trying to go through a dependency program um, as a deaf person versus a hearing person. I can't imagine what I can't, it's like. I can't even imagine what that's like. Because it's so hard and fr- frustrating to do like without right. any of that. Like, yeah. If you think about just your basic thing. All right. You have to go. You have to be screened once a week. We're going to call once a week. And then you go there. And then what if they don't have anybody right. who can speak and tell you these are the rules? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, yes, there's there's paper that you can hand people and, you know, they can read it. Um, but it's making it harder. But it's making it, definitely it, is making it so hard. much harder. Especially my dad. He uh, His eyes are getting worse. So just right. to put a piece of paper in front of him, mind you, you have to write big. Yeah. For him to really read it. So his eyesight is, his eyesight is not even. And that's going to be that frustrating good. for him. It and then is. he's frustrated oh on top gosh. of it. He is. Interacting with people. Like, it's, it's very frustrating for him. And I've seen the look on his face and how he's expressing himself. And it's understandably frustrating. I Can't, wonder if there's a lower rate of reunification for parents who are deaf. I'm sure there's like all kinds of categories that lower the rate of reunification. Yeah. Was he born deaf or was there something that caused it? I think something caused it because from what I heard, he. I think at five is when it started. So something had to have caused it. I'm not sure what that is. So he spoke and heard, mm-hmm. but he probably doesn't really remember. Not remember much, but some words do come out pretty nice. Hey, like, good morning. Like he'll just, he'll do it. Like he'll be like, good morning. Hey, yeah. good morning, Pop. Like, okay. <laughs> some things he could actually say, but other things is just hard to. But if you think about the language of someone your at vocabulary five, yeah. at five, it's much more limited than as yeah. you get older. So he does verbalize mm-hmm. the words he can. Yeah. He does verbalize. Does he read lips too? He's pretty good at it. He's pretty, I bet. I think that's got to be the coolest skill for so somebody cool. who's dead. I, I, I got to say, my, um, my little sister Bridget, her father, can read lips phenomenally. I remember he was driving one day and uh, he was driving me to her birthday party. And I said something without signing it just to test it. And he answered what I said. And I was just like, you're driving it. Re- Yo. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. That's some mad skills. He's right phenomenal at that. Like, my dad's good, but my little sister's dad, phenomenal. I mean, I think that is a skill we should all have. I know, right? <laughs> I wish it was a skill I had. Are you completely um, proficient and fluent in ASL? Not going to say fluent, but I'm pretty proficient at it. Yeah. Yeah, I lost a little bit. A little bit of touch. So when you talk to your dad now, do you, because you obviously live here and he lives there, do you guys like video chat and then sign? No, uh, there's a service that he uses. There's a translator in the, in the middle of both of us. So I'll call, I'll talk to the translator. Translator will be on, on video with him signing what I'm saying. And when he's talking to me, he'll just read it to me. He'll translate oh. it to me on the other end of the phone. Oh. So there's a translator in the middle of it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Is it weird? At first, it was weird. Yeah. It was very awkward for me, but... Because you're kind of like bringing someone you don't know into yeah, the Yeah, so if I'm right? having a serious like conversation... A what if this was like a personal conversation? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a personal conversation. That's something growing on my butt, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> my dad would get a kick out of that. 
I'm about to start laughing. <laughs> Me and my dad are like little kids when it comes to each other. We'll just sit around and joke all day. That is so cool that you were able to maintain that relationship. And it sounds like that has probably been like the primary relationship in your life, even when you lived with your aunt, because you were still visiting with him. And yeah. so like that's been the continuous solid thing for you. Yeah. He's a great guy. He was the best father he could be that he knew how to be. I think in that sense, I appreciate him for what he do- what he does and how he is. Fast forward you move here mm-hmm. and you kind of jump into this field where you're now working with kids who are in foster care. Yes. Was that purposeful? It was more of a, a friend calling me saying, yo, you got to come down to Florida. We got to make some plans and make things happen. So <laughs> at first I was hesitant, but I was like, you know what? All right. What job do you have for me? It's working with foster kids. Okay, cool. Um, You know, what do I have to do? Fingerprint, background check. All right, cool. Fine. So when he called you, he specifically wanted you to come work with him yeah. in this program. It was, a, it was just like a quick way to get into to work as soon as I moved down here. And how did you know this friend? Uh, me and him were friends for years. We were actually close friends. He used to live in Philadelphia with me. He moved out here way before I did for like two years was trying to get me to move down here as well. And I was hesitant on it. Um, but after some time, I said, like, you know what? Okay, I need I need a new start. Why not? Right. And he was working with the foster kids. Yes. And so it was like, I can get you a job in here. Yeah. And when you first heard that, was there a part of you that was like kind of triggered because of your situation? Like, I don't know that. No, I was happy. About I was more nervous than anything. Because I was just like, I don't know how I'm going to be with these kids. And I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if I'm in the right mindset to really deal with kids. I've had positive experiences with kids, but I was just... But kids are hard. Yeah. That's for anybody. So it's a, especially with teens. It's just like... <laughs> All kids are hard. Jesus. Teens are really hard. Yeah, so... And teens who've I, been through tough times, like, are very hard. So I, obviously anybody would I worry. think I was more anxious and was questioning myself, like, can I really do this? Am I really ready for this? Um, is this something I can maintain? But I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it. Let's see how it goes. But I know as soon as I got here and I actually started bonding with these kids... Yeah, it played a big part because I actually started feeling for them. Your yeah. experiences being removed as a child and, yeah. and going through that. I know when I talk to especially the older kids, they're like, you don't get it. Like, you don't get it. You've yeah. never been removed. You've never lived in a group. Like, you don't get I, it. I was waiting for that. that day. It's like, you don't understand. It's like, you, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. All the feelings you're feeling right now, I have felt. I have been in that situation. I have been taken away and put into a home that I didn't ask to be into. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, that home was amazing. But it was taken away from my family. So you feeling like you're not a great person or not a great son or they didn't want you? No, nah, that's just their mistake. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we bonded over that. And I, he actually started looking up to me as more of a, like an older brother in a way. That moment scared me because I looked up to somebody like an older brother and me and him are no longer on speaking right. terms. Now this kid looks up to me like an older brother and I don't want to do the same thing I was done to with him. So yeah. you immediately paralleled that trauma. I immediately paralleled that trauma, <laughs> that trauma with that situation. But not the, not the working with kids. Yeah. Wow. So It's kind of crazy to hear you say that you were anxious to work with them because from my personal experience, I mean, that's how we became friends. Mm-hmm. You gave me so much insight and you took the initiative to do it. Mm-hmm. You called me and was like, hey, after a particularly terrible situation, <laughs> are you okay? One. And two, like, it's not your fault. Like, it was an immediate, just immediately jumping in and like being supportive. Like, hey, it's not you. And then kind of going into it. And I remember thinking, like, I was still reeling from the emotions. How does he know this? Like, who is this guy? <laughs> like, what is happening? Oh. And then I finally was just like, he seems like he knows what he's talking about. Know how it is for the child. 
Be- vote for the kid because went through that. Know how it is for the parent because I know what I put my aunt through. <laughs> so <laughs> I had both sides and I was just like, okay, I could tell her this and let me talk to him and tell him this. <laughs> he played a nice um, intermediary. Certainly helpful. Definitely like got me through crappy, <laughs> hard stuff. It was very helpful. It still is very helpful for me to like have somebody to like bounce things off of and be like, yo, he said this. <laughs> How can any of us understand if we haven't been through it? As a foster parent, there are things that I understand that people who've never worked with kids with trauma will never understand. And I can't explain it to them to to take these kids who've been through what they've been through and the one person in the world who wasn't supposed to let them down, let them down. And then you expect them to act like every other kid who's been spoiled in the world. You know what I mean? As an adult, no matter how many experiences I can have, I can never understand what it's like to have been him. But I have a better understanding of someone who's never met kids like him. They like to tell you that you don't know. What do you say back? Like, I don't know. I, that's always sorry. what I say. I don't know. And, and I, I get so it, but we have sorry. to fix it. Right. I guess the bottom line is that for you to be working in that field is like such a big blessing to anybody who interacts with you. From what I know about you, you're a pretty great dude. However, <laughs> and from sitting here talking to you, obviously that is also true. Your experience lends so much. And, and the fact that you're able to be in a place in your life where you're able to work with kids like that and continue you to like function and not be constantly triggered speaks a lot to you and and probably has something to do with all those boundaries that you're good at yeah and the work that you put in to get you where you are yeah um oh going back to that not understanding part there isn't always going to be understanding because we're not we all don't go through the same things everybody has their own story but i think it's more of the accepting that really plays a difference. Even though sometimes they're right, there's some things that kid, these kids go through that I don't understand. It's just like, you're right. I don't get it. I don't understand. But I do accept that you went through it and this is how you are now and this is how this makes you feel. I accept that. I think that plays a long way because if we can't understand each other, we can at least accept each other. I like that. I just wonder if saying I accept what you're saying, if they're going to understand how to move forward. Like how does a child, a teenager mm-hmm. who's still emotionally dysregulated, how can they hear and understand, hey, I accept what you experienced and I'm so sorry it happened. I didn't go through it, but I hear you. But now what? It's up to them. That's the part I, I, I struggle with. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you heard me say it took me years for me to come out of my shell. It's a process. And sometimes it takes it take as long as it can take. It's on them. They're well aware of their actions, maybe not well aware of everything that causes them to be that way, but well aware, have their realization that one day that they need to change that. It's on them at that point, And it's on the person who's taking care of them as well to keep believing in them, no matter how much they may put you through. Because I know I put my eye through a lot, but she never stopped believing in me. She never stopped believing in me. She never stopped caring for me. She still treated me as her son. Do you think you put her through a lot because of the situation, like having been removed from your dad? Or do you think that that's just how? Yeah, I mean, I see my little sister slammed in a stroller, flipped upside down and slammed to the ground while she was in the stroller. Uh, I see my dad hit my stepmom. I've seen a whole bunch of the crazy stuff. So I think that and being taken away really did play a part. I was really angry, really angry, really hurt. And I had a lot of emotions. I didn't know how to deal with that at all and didn't even know where they stem from. In turn, who gets the blunt of that? Yeah. My aunt. Yeah. Because she's the one <laughs> taking know. care of me. We know. Yeah. <laughs> we are very yeah, well aware. Yeah, exactly. 
the regiment. So that's why I say I definitely had so many emotions inside me that I didn't know what to, how to deal with that I put my mind through a lot. Did you go to counseling? That's what I was or, <laughs> yeah. Yes, I did. did. She, I started okay. off with counseling, but I, I think I stopped after a certain amount of time. Do you remember whether it helped you at all? Like, did they give you tools that, you know, helped you at some point in the future? Or do you think it was just kind of... It was just there. It kind of just there. What ultimately ended up being your kind of coping mechanism or your coping skill? What was your go-to? When I started boxing and working out, that's what really, that really helped me. Because there's something, it was like an outlet to take my anger out on. It did help a lot. What got you into boxing? My anger. So my anger and wanting to do something with it got me into it. And I loved it. Okay, so you moved down to Florida. You start working. It's not a group home, but it was a home for foster kids, for teens. Yeah. Are you still doing that? No. How long did you do that for? I did that for, I want to say, six to eight months. What was the hardest part about doing that? I want to answer this truthfully. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to know the truthful answer. We can always cut it out. And then you it, wasn't, it wasn't, I'm going to just say this. It wasn't the kids. Right. The kids didn't, they were difficult kids, of course, but it wasn't the kids that made it hard for me. What was the most rewarding thing about doing that? To see the kid, to look in these kids' eyes. That really made a difference to me. When he cried in front of me that day, that made a difference. I cried with him. I couldn't even hold it back. Just, we were just so, two, two guys sitting Good there Good thing your dad wasn't around. Yeah. <laughs> we were both but just look at there. the difference that you've done in that cycle of, yeah. you know, your dad's generation was men don't cry. Yeah. And you've been through what you've been through and you're helping these teen boys cry and express their emotions yeah. in a way that's healthy so that when they get older and they're a man they're not telling their kids men don't cry yeah. they're helping their kids process their emotions and think about the impact that you've had in that way by breaking that cycle that your dad gave you i didn't even never even thought about that wow <laughs> that's really cool <laughs> thank you for that yeah that's really cool but yeah i think that really was rewarding it's just the impact i had on those kids I think you still have an impact on them. That part right there, being that older brother or that mentor really did scare the crap out of me. Now you're going <laughs> You were a teen living with a relative and you worked with teens who were in the group home. Mm. What advice would you give to relatives who are about to take a teen relative as a placement or foster parents who are considering taking a teen? Be patient. Please be patient because these kids do have a lot of trauma. They've seen things that are way too early on that they didn't even get a chance to really be a kid. So please have patience. Try to have understanding. If you can't understand the situation, don't act like you have all the right answers. You don't. Yeah. No one does. There's no book on how to be a parent. For a biological kid or a kid in an adoption, there is no book. We're not going to have all the answers. Just do your best. One day they'll recognize. They really will recognize one day. It might take a lot of time. That's where the patience comes in. <laughs> I feel like it's usually after they go home to their parents. Mm -hmm. and then they're like, oh, I really appreciated you. Like, cool <laughs> things. But uh, yeah, you need to have a lot of patience. Don't, don't feel like you have to have every right answer. You're not going to have it. Just do the best you can. You're considering it for a reason. So whatever that reason is, keep that reason. Constantly remember that reason as to why you did it in the first place. Everybody's not going to be a good fit. Certain teens not going to be for a certain parent. That's understandable. If you do commit to the to adopting, please, please have patience. <laughs> and please remember you did it for a reason. So just try to keep that in mind. But it's definitely going to take a lot of time for that teen to open up and recognize that they're they have a better life now. Yeah. Well, and even if the life is, quote, better, they might still be angry that it's not the life they necessarily wanted. Yeah. You know, yeah. whether yeah. they have food and water and clothes yeah. and someone to, you know, show up for their stuff to them. If it's not like the it's mom that the mom. they had, yeah. like to them, it's not a better life. It's just a different life. Yeah. And, you know, there's but it's better than that. being in a group home. Uh, sure. It, it, 
definitely is. It definitely is. That's why I say it takes a. That's why I say it takes a lot of time because they can really take years. They'll recognize one day. Yeah. Whether that day is 10 years from now or two months from now, all depends on them. But yeah. it, it could take a lot of time. It's but like don't recognize one day. One thing that keeps me going. Mm. Like one day. <laughs> so I think across the board, like that, that's just true. Like the kids just don't appreciate the things you do for them until they have the maturity to understand that. But mm-hmm. certainly these kids who feel like not to put this crudely, but we're not the, their first option. We never right. were and we weren't supposed to be right. Like their first option, their first choice would always be their biological parent. We're like I, sloppy seconds here. I feel like though, like I am okay with that. Yeah. And I think I wish they would understand that. I have never gone into this particular journey to replace or take over. I've always looked at it like I've just stepped in as like a bonus for them or an extra for them. We all know the biological connection is great, right? It's why when kids can't be with their parents, we want them to be with their siblings because it's this biological connection that they deserve to have. To me, there is no competition. There isn't. Like there's place. I could run the race as fast as I can, but I still never birthed you. (laughs) Right. So there's no competition. Like, but I also feel like there's a place for everyone. Yeah. Based on your experience of seeing these kids in the home, as do we all, I'm sure you saw room for improvement in the system. If you could wave a magic wand and fix one thing that is wrong with the foster care system, what would it be? Some of the things I hear from these kids are how they're treated. They definitely fix the treatment because they usually complain about case managers treating them a certain way versus others. You know what field you're getting into. Now, if you know what field you're getting into and you're coming into this field, why not just do the best you can? You know what I mean? Treat them with respect. Like they were your own Because you're not trip. doing it for the money. <laughs> right. You're not doing it for the money, right? Yeah. I would fix who they bring in. Let's put it like that. Even if I, you were to give them trauma training, you know, you had done that training. It goes in one ear and not the other. But also, I think from what he's saying, and it, it was also my first thought is it's their attitude yeah. because of the environment of their job, because they're underpaid and overworked and given way too many kids and they don't have time to do anything, let alone have a personal life so they can yeah. rebound and come yeah. back to work the next day better. I mean, come on. These kids are treated like a burden by enough freaking people yep. right. that at least their case manager should and if they live in a group home it's not like they have and i'd like to say that all foster homes are very supportive and loving and uplifting and i'm sure that we all know that that's not always the case but especially in a group home where it's not a family environment you're living in more of like an institutional right. life mm-hmm. situation where there's, where there's not a mom and a dad who are like oh what are you doing at school today you know like when you're not living in an environment like that at least have one person who's happy to see you and that's often not the case and and i don't want to just like say that they're hiring crappy case managers. I just don't think that the case managers are being put in a position where they're able to be happy. Does that make sense? Yeah, where they're able to be successful. <laughs> because and happy you can make and... more working at Target than you mm-hmm. do as a case manager. But as a case manager, you're responsible for all these kids. And if you don't get something done in time, you could be sued. Yeah. If you fill out a paper wrong, you, you could be sued. Yeah. If a kid gets hurt in a house, even if you've been doing your visits, you could be sued. You could go to jail. The responsibility and often these cases 
case managers are just out of school, don't have the experience because these days the turnover is so high. People aren't sticking around for 20, 30 years anymore. If you've got someone six months, they're a supervisor already because (laughs) they've got the most seniority. Something's got to change as far as how case management is run or how they're trained or how they're treated or a combination of all of that. (laughs) That's a combination of all of that because, yeah. Can you give me a word that describes foster care? Unsuspecting. Unsuspecting. As someone who was working in a group home and as someone who went through the experience of foster care, what is it that you do? I think you talked about it a little before with boxing, but like, is that your go-to? Are there other things that you do to like get your head on right? Um, I usually like to take a walk on the trail. So I'll go out, uh, find a trail to walk and just walk it. Music on, don't talk to nobody, just me and me and the outside. Honestly, that's one of my favorite things to do with my kids is like throw them in the car and find a trail. I wish that there was no silence and I could listen to music, but (laughs) I get to hear them arguing with each other and throwing throwing sticks. But like one of the things uh, that we love to do is everybody's always in competition for the best walking stick. Uh, So the boys will like break down a tree. One time, uh, one of my kids pretty much uprooted a tree and called it a walking stick. And I'm like, that's not a walking stick. That's a tree, dude. I'm not going to lie. I'm like the biggest kid sometimes because I'm out to my ex for this, but she's the one who took me out on like hikes and yeah. trails and stuff. And I would just grab a big stick and just walk with it. <laughs> yeah. And I remember one time she uh she got hurt while walking with the child. I think she twisted her ankle a little bit. And I gave her the stick to balance it. <laughs> she wasn't laughing at your stick anymore. <laughs> <laughs> now you see why I grabbed it, right? It was a good idea, right? <laughs> she, she was an awesome person. She was hilarious. She dealt with my, me being a kid and everything. That's a great self-care. I mean, it's definitely healthier than a lot of the ones that, like, I mean, Starbucks and spending too much money at Target probably isn't oh, the best. Yeah. I like to run, but that's really hard. Especially when you are a single mom of a bunch of kids right. who can't necessarily run with you. Right. <laughs> Bike rides of what I, is what I've switched to because I can stick with that's Idea. trailer yeah just well, the that. next time we go for a trail walk, we, you can load everybody up and perfect. We'll we'll throw some of the littles on some of mine's backs or yours. Yeah, backs I was gonna say <laughs> drag a wagon. And, <laughs> you know, we'll have Jack Daddy push the the Zoe triple stroller yes, with all the babies <laughs> through the sand. <laughs> <laughs> we'll invite Papa because we know he likes oh, the trail. Right? Oh man, we were at the beach last summer. It reminded me when you were talking about pulling like through the sand or pushing through the sand, and I was the beach with the kids by myself each day I would pile everything in the wagon and I would pull it on through the sand the day he was there he was like oh I'm gonna do it for you and so like we pile everything in and we're pulling it and he was like you've been doing this <laughs> so like yo what and holding the kids <laughs> Obviously, it would be ideal if problems could be resolved before kids have to come into care. And so they don't have to come into care so they could stay with their families. What do you think is one thing that communities can do to have less kids need to come into foster care? Be there for each other. Be there for each other. Be there for each other. One thing that I definitely like to say is, yeah, you can bring a kid in this, in this world, but it takes a village to raise a kid. And that's actually true because my neighbors and everything got involved with me, too. And they were, it wasn't just my, my aunt uh, letting me know things and, you know, giving me consequences for some of my actions, but it was also my neighbors. They would let me know right from wrong. Yeah. Tell me what's up. Be there for me if I needed it. So it definitely takes a village to raise a kid. I wish that there was more of that community 
in more communities because yeah. around here, especially like, I mean, obviously where I live, you'd have to hike to find another house. <laughs> Even when we lived in like the smaller communities, like there wasn't so much of that community aspect. I definitely feel lucky, like with my neighbors and stuff. And I don't want to say this for the whole community, but my street, everybody, you know, the other moms are always like, hey, if you want to send your kids out and play, like we're out here, we'll watch them. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So it is nice. When my mom tells stories from growing up, I mean, she grew up in like New York City. Everybody knew everybody. Everybody's family was right there. Yeah. If you were going to do something wrong, like it doesn't matter if it's your neighbor or your relative or your parent, they're all going to yell at you, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, and your parent finds out, right? Like I don't see that so much yeah. anymore. My next door neighbor, man, I freaking love her. She has lectured my kids. Coming from that community, I know some of my neighbors, like we say hi you know, have a conversation here and there, but I know my landlords have a definitely have a good connection with them because I see their kids running outside when they're inside, yeah. but the neighbors will be outside. So it's nice to see that. I'm just, I don't have kids, so I'm not involved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been inside most of my time because uh, what do I look Actually, like staying out here with a bunch of kids? Maybe it's like a Florida thing because it's so freaking hot. Everybody's inside. I just feel like there's um, a lot less of that. I don't know if it's now or here or whatever that is. Bobo, you have obviously made a pretty big impact in your work with teens in the home that you were working with. Do you have any plans for the future, ways to make the community a better place? That I'm still trying to figure out. I don't know what I want to do yet and I don't know how I want to do it, but I know I want to do something. I'm glad that was your answer and what came up because I wanted to say earlier, one of the really cool things that I think that has happened from all of this is you kind of found your space, right? Like you realize like you want to work with kids that are in this position because you can really understand them. And now I know you didn't even realize that when you first started it. But now it's like this like calling that has like drawn you to it. Thank you. I am so happy that you came here today and did this. Thank you so, so, so much for sharing your story, your viewpoint on everything. I am very grateful that you were so honest and open and willing to chat about your experiences here with me and Jack today. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social. We hope that you join us again next time and keep on fostering the future.